This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to What She Said, the heartbeat of Canadian women's voices, with me, your host, Candace Sampson. Here, we dive deep into the raw, unfiltered stories and triumphs of women from coast to coast. This isn't just a podcast, it's a movement where empowerment and education collide and where mansplaining is shown the door. We're here to celebrate, uplift, and echo you. So get cozy, tune in, and let's embark on this journey together. Exploring the rich tapestry of women's lives, their battles, and victories, right here on What She Said. Today we're diving into a critical and often misunderstood issue, eating disorders. With me now is Shalene Jones from Body Peace Canada, a seasoned advocate with over 25 years of experience in the field. Shalene has been at the forefront of change, offering support and leading initiatives to address eating disorders across Canada. Today, we'll explore the complexities of eating disorders, the impact of societal pressures, and the steps we can take towards healing and understanding. Welcome to What She Said, Shalene. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on today. It is my pleasure. And I think this is such an important topic. I mean, I think through the pandemic, we all saw the news about how eating disorders were on the rise, uh, and it was scary. So can you start by giving us an overview of the current landscape of eating disorders in Canada and how have things changed or intensified in recent years? So as you said um, just a moment ago, I've, I've kind of been at this for a fairly long time, about over to, over 25 years as I do the math now. And some things have changed a lot over that time frame, um, and some things have not changed very much. So going into the pandemic, we in the in the world of eating disorders, um, we were in in a bit of a crisis going into the pandemic. So eating disorders have traditionally been chronically underfunded across Canada. Uh, these are an illness that are the third most common mental illness. Um, you have a really high cost in terms of pain and suffering and cost to treat, and and impacts so many people. Um, and yet resources for early intervention, support, treatment, long-term care, et cetera, were not adequately matched based on the severity and prevalence of this illness. So, of course, when the pandemic happened and uh, many healthcare centers had to um, reallocate resources for the pandemic, um, it meant that a lot of eating disorders programs had to be scaled back uh, or were shut down initially. Um, and so that led to really long wait lists for folks. Um, and just real challenges with with accessing the right level of care at the right time. Uh, we have um, fantastic clinicians across Canada, some really innovative programs, um, but with the funding structures as they are, it makes it very, very challenging to to access that essential services early on in the trajectory of this illness. And, and during the pandemic, there was a real significant increase in hospitalizations due to eating disorders. Has that leveled out or is that continuing to rise. Yeah, it, it has leveled out, thankfully. And we saw the same thing. So within the first few weeks of the pandemic, our numbers jumped 400%. So there was, you know, I think we all remember the time that there was just such a high level of distress and uncertainty. And all of our old ways of coping were unavailable to us. And there was just such, so much upheaval and 
you know, a mental and emotional distress. Um, so I think across across the world, and we all kind of experience this collectively. And and those who were um, already at risk for living with an eating disorder, developing an eating disorder, um, who, who had one, were seeing an exasperation of symptoms or an onset of symptoms. Thankfully, those numbers have started to somewhat settle down now. Um, I think one of the challenges is that when folks aren't able to access care in a timely way, the symptoms don't generally magically go away. And so we saw a lot with that hospitals um, and in bigger areas um, having to reduce the threshold to make it so that they had limited resources and only a few few folks were actually able to see someone quickly just because there were so resources were so scarce. So as things have kind of settled back down, um, I know the treatment centers are able to to work with with more people and seeing people who are who are less severe and acute than we were at the height of the pandemic. We're still like not in a great place in Canada, but it's not like it was in that, that those first few months of the pandemic. I think when we think of eating disorders, we often think of girls and women. But I was prior to this interview, I was, you know, doing some research and I came across uh, one that said there's been a 416% increase in eating disorder hospitalization among boys over 17 years of age. So what does this tell us about sort of the changing face of eating disorders and the need for sort of this more gender inclusive approach? Oh, great question. You know, and you're right. Traditionally, we've, we've thought of eating disorders as being an illness that primarily impacts, you know, affluent white girls who are into like competitive sports or gymnastics or what have you. So it's kind of like the image that maybe you and I grew up with, you know, from the after school specials. Right. Um, this is who has eating disorder. Um, it's, you know, the kind of like the low weight anorexia. Um, and that's actually the least common of all the eating disorders. But in our, in our heads, that's what we think of. Um, and as we're learning more about these illnesses and these conditions, we're really understanding how, how complex and widespread they are and how for some people it's absolutely linked to, um, with, there's like a gendered lens to it, you know, so about how, um, women's values tied into how we look and and weight is seen as a signifier of health. Um, there's also deep connections to food insecurity and trauma. Um, folks who are experiencing um, all kinds of challenges in their life that aren't connected necessarily. So I think many people's paths to an eating disorder can can be different and the reasons are just as complex as people are. We're also doing a better job of understanding that eating disorders don't just impact um, young white women, and I think we're doing a better job of uh, of looking for eating disorder symptoms across the population. Do you have, uh, you know, any information on what may be causing this rise in boys and and young men? Mm-hmm. One thing I'm curious about is kind of the the entryway into an eating disorder, which for many many people, not not everyone, but for many, it's a negative energy imbalance, which. It's basically you're not getting enough food into your body and to your brain. Your brain is not doing well. So for some people that can be, um, you know, chronic restrictive eating, dieting, um, unable to eat because of illness or injury or sickness or what have you. Um, but that chronic restrictive eating that increases your risk of developing an eating, eating disorder 18 times. So as for seeing this really big push around, um, vilifying fat and glorifying thinness as the only way to be living in an acceptable body. I think that pressure is being felt across the board 
um, regardless of, of gender, et cetera. And so I think that maybe one of the drivers around uh, the the triggering of of eating disorders for for everyone. I don't know, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know how old you are, and I don't want to question or judge, but I mean, I can tell you, I'm I'm in my fifties, and you know, I I remember, you know, young girls having eating disorders, but we also didn't have the internet, and I'm curious, do you have? data or studies that look at the impact of the internet on eating disorders for both boys and girls? Yeah. Yeah. There are some really interesting studies out there on um, the impact of social media, viewing time, time on apps, and you know how, how many links you get to, how many videos before you're led pro eating disorder content. Um, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably 50 in a few months. So I think we're, we're kind of close in age. Um, and, and I think definitely it's part of this kind of a cultural soup that we live in, you know, which has been so focused on um, our valued human beings based on like how we look and how we present. And, um, you know, so much emphasis for women, especially on um, having a certain look, you know, doing hair and makeup and like presenting ourselves and seeing our bodies as ornaments rather than instruments. And so I think that has really been intensified through a social media lens. Um, we used to look at magazines that were just starting to be, you know, filtered and lit properly. Um, and so now we're seeing images that aren't really people. So I think all that, all that pressure that we maybe felt, you know, in our late teens is just so amplified through, through that social media usage. You mentioned some of sort of the gateways to, you know, developing an eating disorder. Is there like a ranking, like maybe the number one reason this would happen and then down? Or is it just so varied it's hard to get a grasp of? Oh, yeah. I mean, it is really varied. And um, I know that everyone's experience is unique to them and their pathway has been different. Um, that negative energy imbalance seems to be very, very consistent across the board at triggering triggering um, restrictive eat, continued restrictive eating or binging or purging. Um, but I think there's so many individual barriers, variables to that, you know, and its ability to cope with like big feelings, um, chaos in your life or, or need to have structure. There's some links to autism, ADHD, anxiety, depression. So they're very, like, they're very complex, sticky conditions. So Body Peace Canada, I'd like to talk about this a little bit. So it's at the forefront of advocacy and support for people with eating disorders. So can you share some of the initiatives or programs you're currently working on? Oh, Body Peace Canada is just, it's a dream of mine. Um, I came into this field um, fairly early on into my recovery process when I was in my my early 20s. Um, and being able to be connected to an organization, to a, to a community of people who understood what it was like to be in recovery and to be maintaining those gains and to be working, working on practicing your skills in recovery. Um, for me, that was completely transformative. That really was the factor that, that helped me stay well as I kind of clawed my way through that recovery process. Um, and so that always really stuck with me. And over the years, I've been, you know, working um, here in Nova Scotia and created Eating Disorders Nova Scotia, which is um, an organization in this province that provides treatment and support and some great resources for folks. Um, and we've been doing a lot of work around peer support and really creating opportunities for folks to just connect with each other. Um, we've been training folks who have lived experience with recovery 
to support other people. And so as we grew that program and, you know, we had dozens and dozens of peer mentors and we're helping hundreds of people, uh, we wanted to make that available for folks across the country so that it wasn't just a Nova Scotia solution, but that we could take that model um, really grounded in the expertise of folks who had been through recovery themselves um, and supported by staff and training and all that to, to support other people who are going through that process. So peer support is really the heart of, of Body Peace Canada. And everyone who's been working on it, um, for the most part, com- comes from that, that personal experience of the challenges of, of recovery. So we, we kind of brought the best of the work that we do with our peer support programs. And then we partnered with a group out of Hamilton called Body Brave. Um, and they have some amazing resources and this great recovery support program that has a, a kind of a, a self-assessment to figure out, like, do I have an eating disorder? Is this an eating disorder? And to kind of get a sense of, um, you know, what the person might be dealing with and what resources might be the best fit for them. Um, and then they have some great learning resources, some self-assessment, some self-guided learning. So we wanted to kind of bring these two really strong offerings together so that folks from across the country, um, no matter where they live, no matter how close they were to a hospital program or um, whatever challenges they might be facing, could access free virtual support in a really pro-recovery space to help them move forward with their healing. You mentioned that you know now that I'm doing the math on your your age and when you 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 went through this. You mentioned recovery. Thirty years for you, roughly. Do you still struggle with that? I don't. Um, and I know that everyone's experience with recovery is like very unique, and everyone kind of has their own kind of sense of what that means for them. Um, my eating story was mostly my, my late teens and my, my early twenties. I was I was pulling pulling out of that. And my path hasn't always been straight and I haven't woken up every day um, and felt like complete love and acceptance towards myself and my body. Um, but for the most part, like, you know, I'd say like 99% of my life isn't taken up by thoughts of food, eating my body, exercise. Um, when I lived with my eating disorder, that was like almost all of me was thinking and worrying and stressing about that. Um and so I have been recovered for many, many years. And for me, it's like, it's like, a, it's in my rear view mirror so much. Um, and I had great help. I had, well, I've had many therapists along the way, but I had therapy and I had this amazing community. Um, and I was able to take a year off the of school and work and really like dig into that recovery process. And so I know like from my own experience that being free of this illness and not having any thoughts about it interfere with my daily living is absolutely possible. I love that you said the word free. Uh, this is really important, I think, because I think people who may be struggling with eating disorders look at recovery as they're always going to be in recovery, that this will be a lifelong struggle. That's really a daunting setup, really, when, for somebody to think about. So I love that you really, you you hammered that home, that you are free of that now. Yeah. And it's, it's a practice, like recovery is a practice like everything else. So you walk into it, you know, you're pushed or pulled or whatever. Here you are at the door and you're like, here's this huge mountain I've got to climb. And you are learning how to be in recovery and how to deal with challenges and slip ups and relapses and stressors and like changes to your body. So it's, it's, you're practicing and you're learning and your skills are getting better and better and better. 
you know, so early on in your recovery, you may experience a setback or a challenge or something. And your brain is wired to be like, okay, back into that eating disorder behavior, like stressor, back to restriction, back to binge eating. Um, but as, as you develop new skills and you replace those neural pathways and you're able to like, you know, you're training yourself to catch those thoughts and to practice self-compassion so that as you practice it and get better and better and better, um, you're able to like nip those thoughts in the bud, you know? So I think, you know, if I'm feeling like, oh, like, should I eat that? Or I have a thought that is in any way eating disorders adjacent, like before the thought even finishes being formed in my head, my brain's like, no, we're just, that is not a helpful thought. That is not serving. Um, oftentimes eating disorders thoughts are kind of our, our body's way, our brain's way of telling us that something is wrong. So you've heard of people who have been have been paralyzed. And so instead of their body can't give them signals, right? So they have to like pee or something and their body would be like, I can't get that signal to your brain. So instead I'm going to make your ear itchy, like that whole process. And so in many ways, like that recovery process of from eating disorders, like your brain's giving you a signal that, that you're distressed about something. And your brain is interpreting that as a, an eating disorders purge, right? And so it's retraining our brain to recognize that when you get that feeling, that's your body telling you like there's something we need to look at or there's a challenge we're facing or we're experiencing distress and to not interpret that as an eating disorder surge. So Body Peace Canada then, if somebody comes to Body Peace Canada, they want to work with you. Mm-hmm. This is online. It's all remote. Yeah. Right. Virtual. So is this as effective as in-person yeah. support? Yeah, we've we've done both over the past 20 odd years. So we've done in-person and we've done one-on-one. Um, we've always worked on evaluating the outcomes to see, you know, how is this working? How can we improve this is having an impact on people's lives? Um and certainly there's differences in in person versus virtual. In some ways, virtual can serve us better because it reduces so many barriers for folks to access support. You know, so having to like think about how you're going to be in the world and meeting with someone in real life, you know, with all of you present, that can be a challenge for some folks who are really living, you know, really struggling with issues around how they how they feel about their body. And so being able to be virtual that reduces that uh, that challenge. Um, and in terms of outcome, it's. The, the the key thing really is being able to connect with someone. And I think we've learned through the pandemic, through our, our you know, integration of Zoom into our lives that we can, we are able to connect with people on screen. It's not the same, but um, it can be just as effective. So I sort of have a two-parter question here for you now. If somebody's listening to this and they're struggling with an eating disorder, what would you say to them? And the flip side of that, if somebody's listening to this who loves somebody who has an eating disorder, what would you say to them? Great questions. So for the person who is listening to this and thinks, I think this is me or, you know, that hit, that hit home. First of all, just so much, extending so much compassion because eating disorders are, they're so, they're so challenging to live with an eating disorder. There's so much shame and stigma and self-loathing. And, um, you know, I just really feel, feel, feel for anyone out there who's listening, who's going through it. I know that it really sucks. And that it is possible to be completely free of this eating disorder. And I won't lie, it's it's hard work. 
Um, but it absolutely is possible to be completely free and to live the life that you want to live outside of having all the decisions made by the eating disorder or by food and eating your body. And to reach out for support um, with Body Peace Canada, the, the support is here for you in whatever form you need. So if you want to kind of dip your toe in and check it out, see if it's right for you, you can, you can kind of pop in and do that. And then when you're ready to engage more, we're here for you too. So um, to, to not give up and to keep working on it because it's completely possible to be, to be free um, and to actually love your life and to be able to live the life that is meaningful and important for you. And then for someone who um, may care for someone with an eating disorder, um, I think the same message in many ways, like that, that's a challenging role to be, to be a support person for someone who you see is struggling, no matter what they're struggling with. So compassion, you know, self-compassion to that person as well. Um, and then to get support. So there are some great family resources out there. Um, we run a family peer support group and there's some other places across Canada. So find the support that you need to kind of, you know, it's, it's uh, a cliche, but putting your own oxygen mask on so you can take care of someone else. Um, and to learn more about what this condition is like. And it's so hard to kind of make sense of it because it's, it's a mental illness, right? It doesn't make any sense. Like, it's really hard to understand if you haven't, if you haven't lived it. Um, so absolutely learning more about the illness, um, and being kind to yourself and patient, um, and getting support for yourself. What about approaching that conversation though with somebody that you think mm-hmm. possibly has an eating disorder? Yeah. Uh, but you're not quite sure how to approach it because you don't want to maybe push too far or, you know, make an error, you know, what, how would you approach that? Uh, or what would you recommend to somebody? Oh, great question. I, I think, you know, coming from a place of, of caring and empathy and thinking through what is, what's concerning you, you know, so is it um, withdrawing from things they used to enjoy? Um, is that you've noticed them like sneaking off to the bathroom after meals? Like, what is it specifically that's kind of sitting concerning to you? Um, often, um, when someone is living with an eating disorder, you can't tell by looking at them at all. You know, so it's other things. It's like the sparkle has gone from their eye, or they seem withdrawn. Um, and so, I think approaching it from that perspective and, and sharing your concern. Um, and on those things, like, and being really curious and open to where the conversation goes, you know, so I, probably not leading with, I think you have an eating disorder and you need to get help, but just opening the conversation to like, I've noticed this. Do you, is this something you want to talk about? Can we, can we explore this together? You know, and really taking your cues from the person around what kind of support would be meaningful for them. You know, could, th- is that, um, spending time together and not talking about food? Um, would that be helping you, helping them actually figure out what resources are available and providing them with information? So really taking your cues from the person about how you can support them. Looking ahead, what are some of the challenges and opportunities you see in the field of eating disorder treatment and advocacy in Canada? I'm, I'm feeling hopeful around the future of eating disorders in Canada. I think we've, we've learned some really good lessons through the pandemic. Um, and I think we've got creative in how we we support people who are impacted. I think we're starting to understand um, the complexities of eating disorders and how common they are. And I think we're starting to have conversations around around unpacking that. Um, I think too that we're we're really as a society started to think really critically around social media usage and 
um, you know, the unrealistic body standards and really starting to like tease that apart. And of course, when you're a young person and you're living in the world, all those critiques do not matter at all. But I think over time, as we, um, as, as, you know, let's say senior women, but as, as wiser women, <laughs> um, we're able to do all that unpacking on our own and then not pass on body issues to our kids. And we've heard about the almond moms on TikTok and that. And I think as we as a generation are healing ourselves and healing our own relationship with food and eating, um, we're creating a safer space for, for younger people to live in where we're, we're actively dismantling weight bias and diet culture and i think that was going to lead to some trickle down changes but it's it's something that is a, a whole a whole culture and a whole community um, we need to unpack that weight stigma and create care for folks that isn't punitive um, and that really meets their needs and recognizing that eating disorders don't all look the same and can't all be treated the same way do you think that we are addressing this enough in the school system with younger kids sort of letting them know what it looks like, what it is, uh, what it is to be food positive, body positive. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think that's, um, that message can be raised in schools. I think it, it, it takes all of us working together to really, to really challenge that. Um, I think we're starting to learn about the impacts of healthy eating curriculum in schools and about how damaging and how incredibly harmful that has been for for young people. Um, so I'm 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 hoping that um, within the school level that we can be really critical about the healthy eating curriculum and look at it through an eating disorders lens and listen to the eating disorders experts who are strongly cautioning against labeling food as good or bad and having kids report on their their calories in a day. Like I think moving away from that, it's going to do a whole world of good. Um, and this, this certainly is the evidence to show that those healthy eating programs in schools have had a really terrible unintendedly, unintendedly, an, an unintended negative consequence on, on young people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can't think of anything worse than BMI. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like we've done a lot of harm, I think, sometimes in our rush to get education out to people, not really thinking how it's going to impact them. Yeah, and really just entangling. Like the idea that, like, to be the best way to be healthy is to be thin, which is like it's been debunked so many times, and it's um, it's such a myth. And we continue per perpetuate the idea that health comes in one size. If you don't fit this ideal. You know that there's something really wrong with you, and you you know you're not motivated. We attribute like all these negative characteristics to people who don't fit this arbitrary, bizarre ideal. I am so so thrilled that this is a nationwide initiative now, and that people from anywhere, maybe without access to a clinic nearby, can can get the support that they need. This is this is huge. This is really quite huge. So. Where can people go um, to find out more and connect with your team? Amazing. So they can go to our, our site, which is bodypeacecanada.ca. Um, there's information there about the different programs that are available, and they can register. Registration is free. You just tell us like where you live and you know, give us a bit of information, and then we can, can we come up with a curated action plan based on like, where what province you live in, and we can recommend some resources. We also have this it's a kind of like a help desk within the program. 
So you can connect with a peer, a trained peer mentor. If you need help like accessing the program or navigating through the platform, you know, because it's it's a web-based platform that's not always super intuitive. Um, so if you need help figuring out how to access this group or how to register for that, um, the help help desk can help you. Um, and they also help you figure out where to go for your next step and what resources are available across Canada. Um, we partnered with the National Eating Disorders Information Center, so folks can link back to them and find out what what's available in their specific community too. All right, wonderful. And do you have social channels as well? We do. It's all Body Peace Canada across our Inst- Well, we're on Instagram and LinkedIn. Okay, fantastic. Find out what what's available in their specific community too. All right, wonderful. And do you have social channels as well? We do. It's all Body Peace Canada across our Inst- Well, we're on Instagram and LinkedIn. Okay, fantastic. Shailene, I'm thrilled that this is happening. Honestly, uh, I had intended to do a short interview with you on radio, but I think this is such a crucial topic. I want to really give you a dedicated podcast for this. So thank you so much for taking the time today. It's important. Thank you so much, Candice. If today's podcast resonated with you, spread the word and share the inspiration. Don't forget to hit subscribe on what she said across your favorite podcast platforms. Crave more? Join my vibrant community by signing up for my newsletter at whatshesaidtalk.com and let's get social on Facebook, Instagram, and X at What She Said Talk. Dive into my world a little deeper on TikTok and threads at Candace Said. And for those who love the airwaves, catch me weekly on 105.9 The Region, Blast the Radio, and 107.7 Pulse FM. Until next time, keep making waves and remember, your voice matters. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.